Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to this Horse and Hound podcast advertising special. I'm Eleanor Jones, the news editor of Horse and Hound. And in this episode, we'll be joining up with Wild Horse Welfare to discuss welfare in horse sport and why this is one of their strategic focuses, as well as horse sport's social license to operate. I'm sure you've heard or read those words at some point over the last few months, but perhaps you don't know what they really mean or why they matter. Or perhaps you're hoping that if you just ignore social license, it'll go away and you don't have to worry about it. So in this podcast, we will get to the bottom of why World Horse Welfare thinks improving welfare in horse sport is so essential, the role they've been playing in this and what social license is all about and why everyone in the horse world needs to think about it. So I'm delighted to welcome World Horse Welfare Chief Executive Roly Owers to guide us through social licence and why the charity feels it's such a vital issue for horse welfare. Hi Roly, how are you? I'm very well and I love to speak to you. And you too. So let's get started and I think probably best if we get straight in there with the most basic question. Uh, World Horse Welfare is known for rescuing horses across Britain and campaigning for better welfare standards, including on transport for slaughter. So why are we hearing the charity speak more about welfare in horse sport? Thanks, Eleanor. I mean, World Horse Welfare is a charity that believes equine welfare is best protected by improving the horse-human partnership in all of its varieties. And As you say, many people know about our work around supporting horses in need, where we investigate welfare concerns and the focus of our full rescue and rehoming centres across Britain. But we're also actively involved around horses in work and production, such as community projects across the world involving working equids and also those horses that are destined for slaughter. But then we also do work with horses in sport and leisure. And we do all of this, those three areas, we do it through caring, through researching, through education and through influence, they're the activities that support our work. And you know, everything we do is very much sort of based on our founder, Ada Cole, when she established the charity almost a, a hundred years ago, because she understood the close bond between people um, and horses in society. And she wanted them to be treated fairly and compassionately throughout their lives no matter what their role they played. So what is it that makes you different from other equine welfare charities? Well we clearly work really closely with so many other excellent organisations but I think what makes us different is that I think we're the only equine welfare organisation globally that actively supports the responsible involvement of horses in sport at least that I'm aware of. You know, as I said, our focus is very much on the horse-human relationship and the equine welfare within that. But you know, if you look at our UK work or our work in Britain, we aim to rehome every horse we take in. So we're we're not a sanctuary, and we don't believe that horses necessarily are happiest in fields. So we believe absolutely that horses can and do thrive in their relationship with people. But ultimately, for that to happen people have to fulfil their side of the deal. That's what Ada said, by treating them fairly and giving them a good life. And this is particularly relevant for horse sport right now. So why why now is this focus on horse welfare in sport? Well, in reality, Eleanor, it's something that we've been involved in for, for several decades. We've been the uh, welfare advisors to the FEI for, for nearly 40 years. We advise the International Horse Sport Confederation, 
as well as the British Horse Racing Authority, and have many informal associations of other federations. And we're also a member of, of British Equestrian. But perhaps um, our work is less visible here because we have sought to mainly focus on regulators that work constructively with regulators as advisors. Um, and, you know, certainly regulators don't always act on our advice because they make their own decisions. But we believe that because of the, the uh, evolution of the concept around social license and public acceptance, that we want to be more vocal and open about the work we, we do and we believe in in involving horses in sport. So if, um, if assuming that I or, or maybe people listening have never heard of social licence before, can you explain to us exactly what it means, please? Sure. It, I mean, it's an unwritten, uh, there's no legal contract here, but it's a, just an agreement and approval or an acceptance between society and an activity. And in our case, that's horse sport and using horses and involving horses in leisure. And we need to maintain and strengthen that social licence to have a future because public support is so important because we've seen time and time again that if you lose public support, it inevitably leads to a loss of political support and then we lose our ability to self-regulate and ultimately that can bring in restrictive legislation or indeed bans. And and so why has this come to the fore now or, or recently? Obviously, it's not a new thing that people ride horses and compete them. So why is it that over the past few years, this has started to be discussed in the industry? It's a really good question. I mean, I think, you know, society is changing and our interaction with animals and how society and people view that is changing. We also know that through uh, science, through research, our understanding of what constitutes what makes good equine welfare is changing and so there's two tectonic plates that are moving and then of course the WD40 of that is that the world of social media where increased knowledge um, increased focus on all sport is being sort of translated with a megaphone that was never available before so it's a very much a changing landscape and I think there is just changing scrutiny quite rightly of the public saying are we involving horses in sport and leisure in the best way possible and and can you maybe give us some examples of things that have happened that might have been damaging for horse sports social license sadly i mean there, there are too many to mention in many ways i mean if we only have to look at the last olympics and the horrible sides in the modern pentathlon competition, which actually has resulted in the questionism after the next Olympics being dropped from modern pentathlon. But though, if people were to say, oh, but that's pentathlon, that, that's not horse sport, that's not my discipline, what would you say to that? I would simply say it very much is. I mean, absolutely, involving horses in sport, they're, they're show jumping in modern pentathlon. But I think what's equally important to recognise is that the public don't doesn't differentiate whether a horse is being used involved in polo, whether they're being involved in dressage or, or racing or it's riding down the road. It's all horses and people and involving people and horses together. So you would be really wary of trying to say that's a different part of equestrianism. We really are all in this together. Um, if we look at racing, you know, the, in 2021, there was a, a program, a panorama, BBC panorama program about, you know, what happens to racehorses after they leave the racetrack. There was a photo of a trainer sitting astride a dead horse. 
And of course, you know, the issue in the, in the build up to the Cheltenham Festival around the whip. So, you know, it's so important that you know, we recognise that how the sport looks um, and how we care for our horses as a part of that is actually such an important aspect of making sure that we have a future in horse sport and horse leisure. And, and what about if someone was to ask, well, aren't you making the social licence problem worse by talking about it? Well, that's a question that gets asked a lot. And the straight answer is absolutely no, because the conversation's going on anyway. You know, what's happened, the, the sort of chit-chat on social media and the focus in, in the broader media, but the focus, more focus on the general public is happening anyway. And what we know around social licence, it's so important to build up trust. And we can build up trust by having that open conversation about what constitutes good equine welfare um, and where um, we're falling short, that we are open about that. We accept that as a challenge and we make those improvements. But we fully accept that there's lots going on at the moment, you know, in terms of improvements being made. And there is so much good news to get out there as well. So this is not all a tale of woe at all. It's a matter of having that balance between promoting the good and improving where we know we can make changes to improve welfare. And and if we don't, uh, what is the risk for horse sport if we don't take steps to protect our social licence? Well, we know that industries that hide their head in the sand tend to go under. And, you know, the, the power of public opinion, the public perception is really important. We only have to look at jump racing in Australia, which is now banned in most states. In fact, I think it only takes place in Victoria. When you look at greyhound racing, that's banned in many states in Australia and the United States. And even here in the United Kingdom, you've got a significant number of respected animal welfare organisations calling to the end to greyhound racing within the next five years. And actually, the Welsh Parliament is looking at introducing legislation to do just that. So there are these warning signs there that we do need to heed. We cannot hide our head in the sands, otherwise it's going to be a very unfortunate outcome. And so, so you mentioned there um, jump racing and greyhound racing. Can you, can you give us an example of maybe another industry that's lost its social licence and, and what happened? Yes, certainly. Well, if we think of what's happened to circuses over the years and how they used to be ex- widely accepted and, and now are not, but also marine parks and the use of wild animals um, in circuses is now being banned in the UK and the EU. Um, and for marine parks like SeaWorld that bred and featured performing orcas and dolphins, they can no longer offer this. And that's because science demonstrated that what was happening in this, in a particular example of SeaWorld, was inherently bad for these animals. And someone cared enough to communicate that to the general public. And how the industry responded to that meant that they can no longer undertake that activity. So, but if we relate that to the horse world, is as I mentioned earlier, our the science, our understanding of what constitutes good equine welfare is changing, and so we all have a responsibility in in the equestrian world to be keep ourselves abreast of what the evolving knowledge is to constitute good old equine welfare, and we need to implement changes. So it's about challenging the status quo and making changes where we need to make changes to improve the welfare of the horses in our care. 
And and why is it important that World Horse Welfare is involved in the in the sport horse welfare social license conversation? And what what is the charity's role in this area? Well, I mean, we believe that to have that independent, uh, compassionate but pragmatic voice speaking up for equine welfare is really really important. Um, and as such, we seek to work constructive with regulators to do that and what what is our role our role is very much to be an advisor we certainly don't have all the answers we are certainly not seeking to lead here but through the sort of experience we have within the charities both within our staff and our trustees you know we have a good understanding of the horse sport world but also the issue, the disciplines that are so important that underlie that that sort of veterinary credentials understanding of human behavior change how to best educate and investing in research um, doesn't give us all the answers as i say but it does give us i think a very pragmatic practical but caring voice and ultimately we do want horse sport and the equestrian sector to thrive and we think that that it absolutely can do but it just needs to recognize the new landscape or the evolving landscape that we live in in, in 2023 and and can you maybe give us some examples of of things world horse welfare does in this area yes yeah, certainly and we we provide advice as i've mentioned to regulators and we've been doing that for for, for many years just around specifically on the issue of social license and public acceptance over the last two to three years, I've given over 50 presentations around this topic. Um, and it, 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 awareness is growing, which is absolutely brilliant. We also invest in research. We are invest, uh, investing in a, in a four-year project at the Royal Veterinary College, which is evolving this ethical framework tool for use in equestrian sport. Uh, and I think that's going to be so helpful in people being able to make, regulators being able to make justifiable decisions uh, based on the science, based on people's opinion. Last year, we also published a paper in the journal Animals on what equestrianism can learn from other industries that have had their social license um, threatened. So these are all examples of where we are actively getting involved and seeking to support equestrianism as it uh, faces up to the challenges, but also the opportunities afforded to, to us through um, the development and protection of our social license. And, and what other bodies are active uh, in working to protect our sports social license and, and what are they doing? Well, that's a, a, a really good question and is also a, a good reflection on the sector, the fact that there is so much going on. The FBI in 2022 set up its ethics, uh, um, ethics Equine Ethics and Wellbeing Commission, uh, which is due to report to uh, the General Assembly of the International Equestrian Federation this November. Um, British Racing has its own Horse Welfare Board and British Equestrian has now set up its own Equine Ethics and uh, Advisory group and we know that dis different disciplines like polo are also taking this really seriously so there is a lot of activity going on there but of course what really matters it's not words that count it's actions and that's so it'll be really good to see uh, the um, outputs of these initiatives over the coming months and years we have to walk the talk i remember you i always remember you saying <laughs> absolutely <laughs> And, and one thing that I always uh, think is, is what can normal horse people, what can people listening to, to this do 
every day to help protect equestrianism social license so the number one there is absolutely challenge the status quo just because we've cared and managed and trained for our horses a particular way for decades or years doesn't necessarily make it right in 2023 and our understanding of what constitutes good equine welfare our understanding of how horses learn our understanding of how we can recognize pain behavior for example in our horses evolving over time so it is really important to challenge the status quo and actually find credible sources of information such as from World's Horse Welfare and others because it is so important people don't just listen to their friends or social media because you, you get a, an echo chamber there that cannot be helpful. But also then secondly, to think about how what they are doing translates to the general public and you know an example is how they use the whip we absolutely believe the whip has a role in equestrianism but actually how it's used and how it looks to the general public is it can be something that's very different Um, and therefore just be aware of how the public perceives what we are doing as riders whether on the roads at competition or whether we're at home and, and what about, is there anything people should particularly avoid doing that might harm our social licence? Yeah, it sort of relates to that answer and how does that look to the general public. But any behaviour or communication, especially on, on social media, but that, that looks disrespectful to their horse, um, is absolutely to be avoided. And, you know, that, that's something, it's a, it's a bit of a odd thing to say, but, you know, we do, we do need to think that how uh, we are perceived can look very, very differently. Of course, some things that we do may look bad, but not actually be bad. And again, the whip is a great example of that. So just, it's not to be sort of overly worried about this, but it's just to get it into our day-to-day uh, actions that don't try and um, justify the unjustifiable in what we're doing. If we make a mistake, we just need to to, to admit it. But we just need to think how what we're doing can translate to how it is perceived by the general public. So, so if people are interested in social licence and want to know more about it, where can they find more information? So if they go onto our website, uh, which is www.worldforcewelfare.org, we've got a section on sport and leisure horses, uh, which includes more information about our work in horse sport and around social licence. And we also have on our YouTube channel, at Horse Charity, we've got a number of uh, sessions there, webinars there, where we have covered the ethics of of, of, of horse sport. So there's plenty of advice there, and we will be adding to that all the time, especially as the research that I mentioned earlier is reported on. And and before we finish, could you maybe give us one or two key takeaways? So if someone's listening to this and, and you wanted them to remember just one or two points from it to tell their friends at the yard, what would you like people to focus on? So I think firstly, we are all in this together. And at its heart, social license is about doing right by our horses and being seen to do right by our horses. And that the point about doing right by our horses really means that we have to understand and keep ourselves up to date with what constitutes good equine welfare at all stages of their life and to make changes where we need to make changes and i suppose the second point is that i i would just really want people to to remember that world horse welfare 
does want horse sport to thrive and is, is they could consider how they can support us in supporting them to improve one of the most inspirational examples of the horse-human partnership, then that would be absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Roly. It's been great to hear from you and get a better understanding of wild horse welfare and why you think social licence is such an important concept and what we can do to protect it. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been lovely to speak to you and, and great to speak to the Horse and Hound audience too. So that's it. That's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for joining us to listen to this Horse and Hound podcast advertising special. Speak to you soon.